Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. My name is Carolyn Brooks, and the reading from this morning is Matthew 1, 18-25 in the King James Version. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear ye not to take Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Thank you. That's the word this morning. You can have a seat. We are starting a new series today, uh, obviously with the Christmas trees happening up here. This series is called Behold. And I'd like to give you a hint before I get started. This series is going to take all of your attention. And I hope by the end of the sermon, you know what I mean by that. There is a uh, artist by the name of Scott Litzfield, who is getting a lot of attention these days. And Scott is getting attention because he is known for some artwork that grabs your attention. If you haven't heard of Scott's artwork this morning, I'm going to be your tour guide through this art gallery experience. Okay, can we get some like artistic snaps this morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if something inspires you, okay, just give it some snaps. Some of you are like, what are you doing? All right, so here we go. Scott Litzfield is known for artwork like this. Now, here's the brilliance of Scott. Scott will take something extremely normal, and he will give it a small post-apocalyptic twist to it, okay? His whole artwork is based off of the idea that he wants you to be seeing the artwork through an astronaut, obviously, right? Because Keep Austin weird. But he helps you see through the eyes of a visitor something that would be iconic in the day. But he makes you think of it in a new way. So he takes different normal footage and he changes the backdrop to convict us, to make us think differently about the world that we live in. The brilliance of Scott is he changes the backdrop of life to make us rethink our everyday lives. And if I can make the parallel for you, this is what Christmas is supposed to lead us towards. Now, I want you to think about your life for a minute. I imagine that the backdrop of your life has probably changed the minute after Thanksgiving was over, okay? The world had dressed itself up in red. Yep. Which one of these are you 
are you going to be wearing to this? Right now, you will ask me that right now. I know, I forgot earlier. I, okay, I, I would like to match with Roger Whiteside, so I'm gonna choose this one. Roger? Okay, thanks Ken, appreciate that. It's completely fine, completely fine. But here's the thing, the world dressed up in red and green, and you've probably seen numerous candy canes in your life, and you have probably ran into someone that's still quoting Buddy the Elf, because we think that's still funny, even though it's old news at this point. Got to get an amen. Amen, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> Man, I've got a lot of response. I haven't gotten a boo yet for this church. <laughs> Woo, all right, here we go. Uh, the world changed the backdrop. But here's the thing, Christmas isn't supposed to just change the backdrop of your life in a sentimental way. In the Christian faith, Christmas is actually supposed to change you in a spiritually significant way. Christmas is meant to grab your attention. Christmas is meant to change the backdrop of life. Christians have been celebrating this season that they would call Advent. It is this preparation to the announcement of Christmas to be able to direct our attention in a new and different way. It's this time of year that Christians gather around like we're doing today and we start reflecting on the stories of the arrival of Jesus. Now, if you're new to the Bible, one of the things to know is that we have four accounts of Jesus. But you'll notice in those four accounts, there are only two accounts in which the writers of the Gospels actually spend time talking about the arrival of Jesus. And if you watch them closely, you'll actually notice that the backdrops of each of these stories are different. And the reason for that is not to be disheartening, not for you to question the authenticity of the story. It is like an artist using several different brush strokes for you and I to be able to know the impact of what it looks like for Jesus to arrive, for God to be with us. Now, these two stories as they're told. The first one that you've got is you got Luke, okay? And Luke's a partier. Okay. Luke tells the story of Jesus arriving through the eyes of excitement. Okay, He tells the story through the eyes of Mary. And Luke fills it with all sorts of things. There's dancing, there's a baby shower, there is all this excitement of what God is doing through Jesus. But then you also have Matthew. Now Matthew's a little bit different speed. Matthew doesn't tell the story through the eyes of Mary with excitement. As a matter of fact, Matthew tells the story through the eyes of Mary's husband, Joseph. And the eyes are very sobering. It's one of tension. It's one of anxiety, of nervousness, of news that Joseph was not ready to hear. And Joseph doesn't even know if he wants to accept it. Matthew's version of the Christmas story is the bah humbug version of it. There are two different approaches when it comes to Christmas, which that should hit us right in our lives, right? For some of us in the room, Christmas is exciting. For others of us in the room, Christmas is not exciting. Now, I'd like to reveal something really fast. If you are a Christmas-aholic, okay, you like Christmas, we already know. 
Okay. We saw you coming miles away. Okay, you were singing Christmas music before pumpkins were carved. Trees were up before turkeys were stuffed. You're watching Hallmark movies on repeat. That's not healthy for your life. We saw you coming. But what we don't see coming is those of us who sometimes this season, these next couple weeks are very rough weeks for us. That we dread Christmas. I had a grandmother that absolutely despised Christmas. Mainly her big thing during Christmas was that she hated, hated that Christmas tree pine needles would be on her floor. She despised it. And one year she got so upset at Christmas when we unwrapped the final gift. She told my uncle to open the back door of the house. She unplugged the Christmas tree, ornaments and all, and she chunked it right out the door. And she said, Christmas is over. And every year after that, we actually had the tradition, after we got done, we would take the tree, we'd put it outside. We wouldn't chunk it. But we did put it outside to be like, Christmas is over, (laughs) y'all. Some of us would like to throw Christmas out the door. For some of us, Christmas brings pine needles of pain that poke at our heart of the ways that we wish our world was, but they're not actually the way we want them to be. And the good news of these stories as Christians reflect on the next couple of weeks is that this season speaks to you whether you are excited about it or whether you are dreading it. This would actually be one that the gospel writers would say, hang on if you feel excitement or if you feel depression to know that you shouldn't throw baby Jesus out with the tree. You see what I did there? You got to watch me clip. Man, 930 didn't like that either. They didn't like that. Okay. All right, but wherever you find yourself, this story applies to you. Now, when we find Joseph in this text, we find Joseph not just in a bad mood, but he would actually receive this as bad news. Joseph, in essence, hears his bride-to-be is pregnant, and we're told that Joseph hears this news without hearing the explanation that comes with it. If you hear anything, God's story in the world is in the midst of family frustration, confusion, and tension. And this is where we find Joseph in an extremely complex, right? This is every family decision. In a complex decision of either he will be a heartbreaker or he will be a lawbreaker, depending on what he does with the news of his wife being pregnant. And in the midst of Joseph hearing this news, we get to see what it looks like for us to come to the news of God with us. Because Joseph is told to behold. Now, if you are never familiar with the terminology, behold, this is not Shakespeare language. This would just be language that would be used to describe getting your attention. Here's what the word behold means. It means to stare at, to gaze intently. To quote one republic, it would be stop and stare. Okay, this is what, but man, that didn't work for y'all either. This is what behold means. It means undivided attention. And when we look at how much is around Joseph, 
Joseph could have his attention on everything that would be imperfect. But instead, Joseph points his attention and direction to the perfect one. Here is how Tim Keller would describe the decision, the tension, the situation that Joseph would find himself in. Everybody in that shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know that she was already pregnant. That would mean either that Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage or she was unfaithful to him. And as a result, they're going to be shamed. They're going to be socially excluded, rejected, and they are going to be second class citizens for their lives. This is the scenario Joseph finds himself with. If I gave you shorthand to this, it would be this, is that Mary is going to gain a reputation and Joseph is going to lose his reputation. This is a moment where Joseph would be questioned in how he handled this. Everyone would have murmurs about Mary in this situation, in the horizon of their life. Joseph's job would be affected. But here's what's most powerful about this moment is that Joseph doesn't hold on to the imperfect situation he finds himself in. He holds on to the news of the perfect one that's coming. Joseph actually holds on to the angel of the Lord saying, I am working in this and it's bringing God with us. Here's how Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 would actually say it. But after he, is this that pizza I ordered? Okay, is this pepperoni? Give me a quick sec. Okay, all right. How much do I owe you for this? A lot. A lot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I don't have a twenty. Does anyone have a twenty? Never mind. You know what? You know what? Okay. Take this amount. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate. It. Appreciate. It. Yep. 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 Sorry for that interruption. Here's how Matthew would say it in verse twenty. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. The good news of God, what we focus on in this season, is the one who comes to save people from their sins. Now, this word save that's used in the text, we need some context that goes with it. This word save, save your person who saves, this would get thrown around a lot of different ways. They would actually use this for titles such as people like doctors or philosophers or politicians of the day. This word would be used as saved. But here's what's so amazing about the story that we come to worship God with us is that Jesus, God in the flesh, comes in a way to save us that no other title in the world can save us with. Scientists may have good reasons to be able to help us, but they cannot save us from the wounds that we have in our souls. Social media influencers can point us in different directions in life, but we also have to notice that there's something deep within us, an ache that's wrong with the world. And Jesus saves us from it. 
Many of us wrestle with what families, generations before us have passed on to us and we wrestle through that. Jesus saves us from that. The good news of Jesus is that God became what God is not. So you and I could become what we cannot on our own. That Jesus came in the midst of our imperfection as the perfect one to not only be with us, but to work within us. Joseph does not flee this imperfection situation. He relies on the perfect one in the midst of it. Have you ever considered how some of your best work with God in the world may simply come through just staying in the situation you're in? Have you ever thought what that may look like for your family or the people that you lead at work or for your spouse or for kids long lost away? What if the work of God was just staying even though things felt imperfect? And here's the thing. We like to focus on imperfect all the time. It's a part of our nature. I love the way that Matt Delano actually described this a couple weeks back. He was like, if you think about it, we just gravitate towards imperfection. Like, have you ever been in a situation where you're at like a restaurant or a public space and someone's like having an argument and things are getting heated and you know in the room like, oh my goodness, they're having a moment right now. But like, you can't help yourself but just look over. Just be like, are they yelling? Are they yelling? What, what did she do? What did he do? What did he say? You know, how many of you have driven past a car accident before? And you're like, just stay focused on the road. Just stay focused. I'm just going to see real quick what that is. Like, we gravitate towards when things are wrong. We fixate on what is wrong. We tend to be people that focus our attention on others' imperfection or our own imperfection. We focus our attention on how people can't get their life together in the way that we have never wrestled in getting our life together. We focus our attention on what they said to us instead of what they have said to us. We focus our attention on what we've done instead of what God has done. Brothers and sisters, we hold on to imperfections, but life with Jesus, the story that you and I dwell in the next couple weeks, is not a story where you have to hold the imperfections of the world. There's a perfect one who has came to save us from what's frustrating, what's an ache, what's indescribable, what oppresses us, what we struggle with. We are meant to behold the reality of God with us. And it takes a couple of weeks to be able to be ready for that. But at the same time, it first requires your attention in the world. Now, Right. It's a really important question. Uh -huh. Which one should I wear to the... Mm -hmm. Well, by people's faces, we all hate this. I mean, I really love For it. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And this one lights up. So we're going to go yeah. with lighting. Okay. okay. Appreciate Thanks. that. Thanks. Thanks. Where was I? If you would notice in the text this morning, you would have realized that we read the King James Version, which grace upon grace, you read that so beautifully across the board. I don't even think you read half of it. I felt like you were just quoting. Um, you would have noticed in the King James Version that the first word that the angel says to Joseph is that beautiful word, behold. 
And what's really interesting is that if you look at Scripture through the ages, you'll find that that word behold is actually handled a little bit different. In the version that was read to you today, if you were reading across the Bible, the word behold would come up 1,298 times. That's a lot of beholding. What's fascinating, though, is that if you look at more modern translations, just translations trying to speak the language that you and I do every day, that only shows up 27 times throughout the Scriptures. We are losing the language of behold, but more importantly, what I'm concerned about for you is we're losing our ability to behold as well. That there is a struggle when it comes to not only just this season in life, but you in general as far as beholding, holding your attention, focusing, fixating, being able to gaze intently. And Christians aren't the only ones that have been saying this. A matter of fact, if you were to look at sociologists and psychologists, they're actually saying that your ability to hold attention on things is dropping. Before 2008, which would have been the media revolution, especially with the drop of the iPhone, your attention span to be able to focus truly on something, unconcentrated division of attention, would have been 12 seconds. Now, after the development of the iPhone, most of us can barely hold attention on something, truly hold attention on something for more than eight. Just to give you a reference point, the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. Okay. We're in competition with the goldfish right now. That's where we find ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. And the reality is, is that for many of us, as distracting, as difficult as it was to preach this sermon this morning, many of you treat this season like I just treated this sermon. We're letting ourselves constantly get interrupted. We're filling our calendars to the maximum that we can. We can't truly fixate on one thing because we're always interrupted or asking a question or being fixated on things that really in the long run do not matter. This is the season of beholding. A season of putting attention on the perfect one, and that is Jesus. When we fixate on trying to make the end of the year perfect, we're called to behold. When you get fixated on how your family is imperfect, we are called to behold. When we get fixated on how our plans do not pan out the way that we wanted them to, we are called to behold. And this is the way that we go about carrying the news of God with us in Jesus. So as a church staff, we want to actually give a very practical application of how to behold these new. Behold sounds really great. How do I practically do that? Well, we've got a way for you. Today, I'd like to introduce to you what we call the attention calendar, okay? When I lift it up on three, I'd love some like, ooh, ah, okay. All right, one, two, three. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, you're feeling it, okay. So this is the attention calendar. And we've designed this in such a way that starting tomorrow, all the way leading up to Christmas Day, We've designed a way for you as a family or as a household to actually pause and behold the good news of Jesus coming to be with us. Now, here's how this attention calendar works. You'll see that there are different prompts all throughout the calendar. 
And what our challenge to you is each day, we're asking you maybe hang this up on your fridge, maybe put it on your wall, don't let your kid just run around with it, but we're saying put it in a central location and each day take a glance, look through it, and see if you can take a moment to behold God throughout your day. So you'll see that there's different prompts, which I've done it like, some of them are like, find a moment of discomfort. And when you find it, say the behold prayer that's at the top of the sheet. Another example would be, find a Monday morning from here on to Christmas to say the behold prayer. When you go to work or school, have someone in your household pray the behold prayer. Okay, so this is just a way for all of us. And by the way, we're going to be checking in each week. Okay, we're going to be like, who's got this count? Who's got this going on? Each week, it's going to be a challenge to say, how many times can we stop and behold the good news of God? Now, today, as you exit, these are going to be on the center table out in the front. You get all of it. You'll get the stickers. You'll get the instructions. You get the calendar. You get a car. No, I'm just playing. No, no car. But it sounded really good, and I just wanted to keep going. But that is the attention calendar. Can I leave you with a final thought today? Every day... A thousand things are competing for your attention. As a matter of fact, for the past 25 minutes, I've been one of the people competing for your attention. And when you leave here, there are industries built that are working overtime right now to put things in front of your eyes. If we are not intentional in removing distractions, the force of gravity will move us towards being distracted this entire time. On average, you are going to touch that cell phone in your pocket 2,617 times. I wonder if we were a little bit intentional this season. I wonder if God would actually come and touch the places of our lives where we feel sin the most more than us just touching our phones 2,617 times. The greatest grace in your life is that you can be able to speak to God and God can be able to speak to you. Give God the attention this season to be able to come in a meaningful way because He's arrived once and He will arrive again. Brothers and sisters, do not focus on the imperfections around you this season. You have a Savior that is taking care of those. Do not focus on the imperfect. This is a time to behold the perfect one. And maybe, just maybe, we will have God and God's attention this season. I'd like to invite Danny to come up to bless us. I'm going to pray us out as he does. So, Father God, we, uh, we come to you recognizing uh, that we need some focus to be able that you are working and moving in life. God, we thank you for your son and the message of you being with us, that you not just created us, that you just not sustained us, that you just didn't think of us, but that you were willing to be with us, to come in flesh, to be the message for us and the aches and the pains that we carry all throughout life. God, we pray to behold you in your news in the next couple weeks. May we do it well. May we see you in new ways. Pray all this in your precious son's name, Jesus.
Amen.